Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, March 1st, 2024. It was on this day in 1867 that Nebraska became the 37th state of the United States. It was also on this day that the great tragedy of the kidnapping of 18-month-old Charles A. Lindbergh Jr. occurred, the son of the legendary pilot who was the first to fly solo across the Atlantic in his plane, The Spirit of St. Louis. His son was kidnapped on this day in 1932. As we continue through our Lenten observances, last week I talked about the practice we have of the Lenten sacrifice, of the pillars of piety, of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and especially, uh, more predominantly in people's minds, the practice of fasting. This week, I'm going to talk about a staple of the season of Lent, which is the reality of temptation, in which, in many ways, during the uh, season of Lent, we are inviting temptation by engaging in these sacrifices and other practices and observances, especially when we give something up. And temptation is part and parcel of that because it is only during temptation that we grow in strength, in stamina, in endurance, and our will to, to, to hang in there, to keep going with the commitments we have made as we go closer and closer to the day in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Just as in any exercise, we experience temptation when our body feels the strain, so too is temptation the strain of spiritual exercise. When we commit, say, that we will do 50 push-ups every day, the first couple of days, once we reach, say, the first 10 or 20, our body begins to feel the strain and say, no, we will, won't go as far as 50. We'll just go to 30, maybe 25. No, 15, 15. And we're tempted to not do the number of exercises or the regimen of exercise we had committed to, and that's why we have our coaches there to push us, to keep us going so that we hang in there. And while it's difficult on the first few days, we keep at it. It gets easier and easier as our body gets stronger and stronger. It's still a bit of a strain, but our bodies get stronger and stronger. And it is the same with spiritual exercise. And so in the season in which we grow in strength, in our relationship with God, in our own personal stamina and resistance to temptation, and as we grow in strength in our connection with one another as church, we experience temptation, which is an enticement to do wrong by a promise of pleasure or gain. Or another definition of temptation is to make a trial of, to provoke or to induce someone to do something. In this case, perhaps it is to take back what we have given up before the commitment has been fulfilled, before we have reached that point of the celebration of Easter. And we see a great deal of temptation in today's world. But during the season of Lent, we actually invite it. I always like to make the comparison. In the Lord's Prayer, which we pray liturgically three times every day, those of us who pray the Liturgy of the Hours and go to Mass, we pray the Lord's Prayer three times every day, during morning prayer, evening vespers, and at Mass. 
And in the Lord's Prayer, which we also pray who knows how many times when we pray the rosary, we pray, lead us not into temptation. During Lent, we say, bring it on. We can handle it. And, and there are a couple of quotations I'd like to share with you. Charles uh, Baudelaire, hopefully I pronounced his name correctly, said, there are some temptations which are so strong that they must be virtues. Mark Twain said, there are several good protections against temptation, but the surest is cowardice. And then finally, there's the author T.S. Eliot, the poet, who said, the last temptation is the greatest treason, to do the right thing for the wrong reason. And isn't that what temptation is? We always think we're doing the right thing, when in fact we are not. And in fact, perhaps we are doing the right thing for the wrong reason. But we see occasions of temptation in the Bible, occasions when the people turn away from God. They do it out of anger and jealousy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 to 27 says, If you are angry, let it be without sin. The sun must not go down on your wrath. Do not give the devil a chance to work on you. We see temptation when things go bad. How many times in the book of Exodus, when the people are journeying from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai alone, just that one journey to receive the law, they run into difficult times in which they are tempted to turn away from God and go back to Egypt. Exodus chapter 32 verse 1 states, When the people became aware of Moses' delay in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will be our leader for the man Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has happened to him. So by the time they receive the Ten Commandments, they're already being tempted. When they didn't have food in the desert, when God provided the manna, he did that in response to their rebellion. They were tempted again. When things go bad, the people of Israel are tempted to turn away from God and go back to what they knew before, which was slavery in Egypt. And we see many times in the scriptures, one sin leads to another. One sin leads to other temptations and other sins. In the second book of Samuel, for example, we have the sin of David, in which Having committed adultery with Bathsheba, he now needs to cover it up. And it leads to his murder of her husband Uriah. One sin leads to other temptations and other sins. He was tempted to take Bathsheba. When he gave in to that temptation, he then was driven to cover it up, which led to another grave sin. Also in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 13 and forward, St. James warns us of how we are tempted and where those temptations lie. He says, no one experiencing temptation should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not subject to temptation to evil. And he himself tempts no one. Rather, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire conceives and brings forth sin, and when sin reaches maturity, it gives birth to death. God doesn't tempt us. We experience temptation from our own desires. But on the other hand, 
we say that we're tempted by the devil. We have that phrase, the devil made me do it. And H.L. Mencken, another author, says, temptation is an irresistible force at work on a movable body. And while we may blame someone for temptation, we must be that immovable body, not allowing temptation to move us. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 says, If you do well, you can hold your head. But if not, sin is a demon lurking at the door, and his urge is toward you. Yet you can be his master. We can be that immovable body. And isn't that what Lent is training us to be? When we give something up, we experience temptation, and we turn to God in prayer so that we can resist temptation and be that immovable body. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 27, immediately after, Satan entered Judas's heart, and Jesus addressed himself to him, be quick about what you are to do. In the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, verse 3, Peter explained, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart so as to make you lie to the Holy Spirit and keep for yourself some of the proceeds from that field, a field that Ananias had sold? In the first letter of Peter, chapter 5, verse 8, Stay sober and alert. Your opponent, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. One can say that the devil is that irresistible force at work on a movable body, as H.L. Mencken states, but we must be that immovable body. And one of my favorite quotes with regard to the work of the devil a little more uh, complex, a little longer than the quotes from the scriptures that I just uh, stated. This comes from Thomas Merton in chapter 1 of his seven-story mountain. Again, speaking to the devil, being that force that moves us to temptation, he writes, The devil is no fool. He can get people feeling about heaven the way they ought to feel about hell. He can make them fear the means of grace the way they do not fear sin. And he does so not by light, but by obscurity, not by realities, but by shadows, not by clarity and substance, but by dreams and the creatures of psychosis. And men are so poor in intellect that a few cold chills down their spine will be enough to keep them from ever finding out the truth about anything. Thomas Merton, Seven Story Mountain. The devil may tempt us, temptation may push us, but it's a crafty temptation. And how often do we see that in our culture today where people feel about heaven the way they ought to feel about hell? They fear the means of grace the way they do not fear sin. And a few cold chills down their spine is enough to keep us from ever finding out the truth about anything. Temptation is an irresistible force at work on a movable body. And yet we, during Lent, exercise so that we may be that immovable body. And of course, there are great advantages to resisting temptation. Temptation is a test of endurance. If you've ever seen the movie Papillon with Steve McQueen, and Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman's character Dega, says to Papillon, someone said that temptation resisted is the true measure of character. Walter Baghot 
said, It is good to be without vices, but it is not good to be without temptations. Ralph Waldo Emerson, We gain strength from the temptation we resist. And William Penn stated, "'Tis no sin to be tempted, but to be overcome." And that's something I'm constantly reminding people in confession. When they come and they confess their temptations as if they were sins, I always like to say, "'A temptation resisted is not a sin committed.'" And it's similar to what William Penn stated, "'Tis no sin to be tempted, but to be overcome.'" Moses even reminded the people in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come to you only to test you and put his fear upon you, lest you should sin. One of my favorite quotes, from which I get the motto of my website and pretty much my ministry as a priest, is from Luke chapter 22, verse 31 to 32, in which Jesus, at the occasion of the Last Supper, says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Remember that Satan has asked for you to sift you all like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may never fail. You in turn must strengthen your brothers. St. Paul says in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 9, God said to me, My grace is enough for you, for in weakness power reaches perfection. And so I willingly boast of my weaknesses instead that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And we read in back in the letter of James, chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres in temptation, for when he has been proved, he will receive the crown of life that Christ promised to those who love him. And in the first letter of St. Peter, chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, You may for a time have to suffer the distress of many trials, but this is so that your faith, which is more precious than the passing splendor of fire-tried gold, may by its genuineness lead to praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ appears. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, in one of the letters to the seven churches, Because you have kept my plea to stand fast, I will keep you safe in the time of trial which is coming on the whole world to test all men on earth. And so we see temptation is there as a test of endurance, as an exercise of endurance. And during Lent, we invite that experience of temptation so that we can grow stronger against it during the season of Lent. That's why we give something up. That's why we engage in disciplines and sacrifices. Blessed Julian of Norwich said, He said not, thou shalt not be troubled, thou shalt not be tempted, thou shalt not be distressed. But he did say, Thou shalt not be overcome. We rely on the grace of God when we turn to him in prayer to help us resist temptation. St. Bernard of Clairvaux stated, It is necessary that temptations should happen. For who shall be crowned but he that shall lawfully have fought? And how shall a man fight if there be no one to attack him? St. John Vianney, who I like to point out is, perhaps the only saint canonized because he was a good diocesan priest. The only diocesan priest canonized for being simply a good parish priest. He stated, The greatest of all evils is not to be tempted, because then there are grounds for believing that the devil looks upon us as his property. 
Think about that for a moment. The greatest of all evils is not to be tempted because then there are grounds for believing that the devil looks upon us as his property. If we were the devil's property, he wouldn't have any need to tempt us. But the fact that we are tempted is good news because it shows we are not the devil's. We are Christ's. And someone is trying to take us away from Christ by tempting us. So, one of the advantages of resisting temptation is it's a test of endurance. Another is it moves us toward God. Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, pray that you may not be put to the test. Who do we pray to? We pray to God. St. Paul in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10, verse 13. No test has been sent you that does not come to all men. Besides, God keeps his promise. He will not let you be tested beyond your strength. Along with the test, he will give you a way out of it so that you may be able to endure it. And he says in the second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 3, The Lord keeps faith. He it is who will strengthen you and guard you against the evil one. And in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 18, Since he was himself tested through what he suffered, he is able to help those who are tempted. Here's a saint, Barsanufius. Saint Barsanufius said, Whatever good it is to be attained, struggle is necessary. So do not fear temptations, but rejoice in them, for they lead to achievement. God helps and protects you. And St. Thomas Aquinas, we cannot command our final perseverance, but must ask it from God. And St. Clair of Montefalco, if God did not protect me, I would be the worst human in the world. So what is temptation? Temptation comes from the evil one to pull us away from God because the evil one does not possess us. God possesses us. And when we invite temptation during the season of Lent, we're basically tempting the tempter. Tempting the tempter to tempt us. Knowing that when we turn to God in prayer, we will resist that temptation. We can sabotage temptation. Something intended by the evil one to corrupt us is used by us as an opportunity to grow closer to God. So, what are some of the ways in which we are tempted during Lent? Now, we all experience temptation in different ways, but I have seen that there are some very common ways in which people are tempted during Lent, especially ways that move them away from these practices. We're called to prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. We find clever ways to get around it because we give in to temptation. And so just from the very outset, we're tempted. And how are we tempted? Here are some of the ways that I have seen people are tempted, and it's expressed in what they tell me as a priest or what they share with one another. Some people will say, I don't give something up. I do something extra. In other words, they don't want to give something up. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too tedious. too challenging. So they're tempted to not give something up, but to do something extra. Of course, I ask them, what is the extra special thing they're doing? And they never seem to remember, but you get the idea. They don't want to give something up. I simply remind them, the practices during Lent are prayer, fasting, and almsgiving not prayer, fasting, or almsgiving. The doing something extra is part of the almsgiving part. 
but we must give something up as part of the fasting part. Another way in which we are tempted, and people use this uh, cliche or this directive, this unofficial rule they like to cite, I don't give up one thing for Lent. I give up something different every day. Well, hooray for that. I wish you luck in finding 40-plus different things to give up during the season of Lent. And what sacrifice really is it when you say, oh, I gave up coffee today, but that's okay because I'll take up coffee tomorrow when I give up chocolate. And that's not much of a challenge, is it? Because you'll take chocolate back the next day when you give up uh, sugar candy or wine or who knows what you're going to give up the next day. A sacrifice is the endurance the longevity of this observance, not something that we do just for one day because we're going to give something up the next day. Another one of my favorites is when people have given something up. Father, I gave up smoking. Or Father, I gave up wine. Father, I gave up video games. But Sunday doesn't count. I love it when people say Sunday doesn't count. And it's unbelievable because the most traditional people are the ones who say, Sunday doesn't count, which again shows me that people who call themselves traditional really don't know the tradition. The Sunday doesn't count comes from when we fasted every day during the season of Lent. Every day was a day of fasting as a community. It was a communal observance like meatless Fridays. We do that together. Everyone abstains from meat on Fridays. And time was when everyone fasted every day during Lent, except Sunday was not a day of fasting. Now, we still gave up individual things for Lent. As individual people, we gave things up. And even then, Sunday was still a day in which we gave that thing up. Sunday was just not a day in which we as a community fasted. So now we fast for a grand total of two days. One of them is already over. That's Ash Wednesday, and the other is Good Friday. We don't fast every day during Lent, just Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. So... The Sunday doesn't count principle no longer applies. That was the tradition. It was never a tradition that our individual sacrifices we took back on Sunday. And really, does that make any sense? I gave up wine for Lent, so on Sunday I can be a lush. I gave up video games for Lent, so on Sunday you can't get me away from the TV. And there are other examples to that. Does that really make any sense? We can go hog wild on Sunday. And then when you think about it, what are we doing? We're giving in to temptation. We're tempted to take the thing back before Lent is over, and we're giving in. But we say, well, Sunday doesn't count, so we can give in to temptation. Sunday is a day that we dedicate to the Lord. Does it make sense that we give in to temptation? We give in to the evil one on a day dedicated to the Lord. Tell me if that makes sense. I'll wait. Well, I'm not going to wait because that'll be dead air, I guess you can say, but you get my point. If anything, Sunday is a day we should double down on our individual sacrifices. Another one is, well, I don't give something up for Lent anymore because I'm too old. I'm over 60, or I'm not old enough. I'm under 14. The age difference has always seemed to change, but I think the most consistent is over 60 and under 14 don't have to, so they don't. I even run into parents who say, well, I don't make my kids do it because they don't have to. They're not 14 yet. I like to point out, it's not that they don't have to. It's that they are not under obligation. And there's a difference. They still have to do it. They just don't need Holy Mommy Church to give them an obligation. As if they're these overseers telling you what you have to do. And that whole principle is... 
respect for our elders, who we hope are mature enough to know to do something that is important without having an obligation imposed upon them. People who are over 60 who have been doing this all their lives, hopefully this is second nature to them, and they don't need an obligation in order to do something that is important for them, for the community and for their relationship with God. And I can tell you, I know people who are in their 90s who still give something up for Lent and fast on the days of fasting. Not so much that it affects their health. I mean, even people who are younger, we're not meant to do something that affects our health negatively. But those who are truly spiritually mature don't need an obligation. And those who are underage, don't they have parents who are doing it? Who are teaching them these practices? Don't they have teachers who are showing them in Catholic school or in CCD who are examples to this, teaching them the practices? And again, if the parents are doing their job and raising their children in the faith and in the practice of that faith, why do they need an obligation imposed upon them when they have parents who are already teaching them to do it? Again, this whole overage, underage principle that people love to quote to get out of it, to get out of the practices of Lent, is actually there as a respect for our elders and our, those who should be spiritually mature to do it on their own without an obligation and for the role of parents and teachers. So these are just a few of the ways in which we experience temptation during Lent. And it's a temptation to keep us away from doing these practices, period. But in all things, we hopefully can relate to the temptations of Jesus which is the first gospel we hear on a Sunday during Lent. We can relate to the experience of the Son of God, which, as we hear in the letter to the Hebrews, he was tempted in every way that we are, but never sinned. And because he was tempted, he can be of support and give us strength in temptation because he himself endured it. And what were those three temptations? You're hungry, so command these stones to turn into bread. It's not a matter of the power, per se, but you are hungry, Take care of your human needs. You're only human. You're hungry, eat. You're thirsty, drink. You're threatened, respond with violence. You're sexually aroused, respond with promiscuity and adultery. What are our basic human instincts? Hunger, thirst, survival, and reproduction. Those are our human drives. And that first temptation addresses that. You are hungry. Command these stones to be made bread. Apply a temptation to any of our other human instincts. We see temptation to violence. We see temptation to adultery and promiscuity. And, of course, material needs. Food. Make food for yourself because you're hungry. What's the second temptation? Jump off the parapet of the temple. Why? Because you know God will protect you. It says so in the scriptures. It is written. He will send his angels to look after you, to keep you in all of your ways. The devil uses scripture to tempt Jesus. Just as we will say, it is written. I don't have to do it. I'm under age. I'm over age. The rules say I don't have to do it. The devil quotes the scriptures. And when he says, jump off the temple, he says, you can do it. Prove it. Show that you are God's 
chosen ones. Show that God will protect you. Using your talents and your power for personal gain versus God's ultimate purpose. You can do it. You should do it. And yet, if we remember that line from Jurassic Park, we were so fixated on whether or not we could that we didn't stop to think about whether or not we should. And here's that temptation of Jesus to jump off the temple. You should jump because you can. And Jesus says you're not to test God. Jesus knows God will protect him. He doesn't need to test it. We don't always need to show off when we can have that faith in God. Keep a certain ethics as to exercising when and how we exercise our talents, our intellect, and our power. Be aware of when we should do it, even as we know we could. And finally, the third temptation. Just worship me, and I will give you all these kingdoms. Basic temptation to turn away from God. Is it advantageous for us to turn away from God? It's not so much worshiping the devil, not so much gaining the kingdoms of the world, but diverting worship away from the Father. And how often do we see that? Money over God, prioritizing over God. Excuses and priorities over our Sunday obligation. Excuses and priorities over our Lenten observances. Or how often do we turn away from God because science has now demonstrated certain things? And we see that temptation, especially during the pandemic. How often did people say, I follow the science, we follow the science. Well, in compared to what? They were socking it to people of faith who put their faith in God. People love to tout the fact that they put their faith in science. They worship science. They don't worship God. Their priority is away from God. And in this case, the devil is saying, worship anyone but God. And I will give you these kingdoms. So it wasn't so much getting these kingdoms. It wasn't so much worshiping the devil. It's worshiping someone other than God. And we see three very basic temptations. And temptations that coincide with the pillars of piety. Prayer. Worship God alone. Fasting. Fulfill your hunger. No. Fasting. Almsgiving. You have certain talents. Don't use them for the benefit of your own edification and aggrandizement. Use your talents to fulfill God's purpose. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. All three of those we see in the temptations of Jesus. And during Lent, we invite temptation as an exercise, as part of our exercises. We pray, yes, lead us not into temptation. But during Lent, we invite it as any exercise would. Temptation is the strain of spiritual exercise, and we should be one another's coaches. We know other people are going through this with us, are taking this journey with us. They're engaging in communal practices with us as we do these things together, and they are engaging in individual sacrifices, as we are. Draw that strength from the community of faith as we together go through this season of Lent, and turn to God in prayer as we experience temptation so that God's strength and God's grace will give us what we need to endure and to fulfill the obligations we have made to God and to one another as church during the season of Lent. And as such, we will find our strength grow and our endurance be strong more and more by our resistance of temptation.
Temptation is not an irresistible force at work on a movable body, but rather it is a resistible force on an immovable body when we exercise that strength given to us by God's grace. So those are my thoughts for this week. Hopefully the temptations we are experiencing are not overly intense, but we know God does not tempt us or allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to endure. He gives us that strength to resist. So let us continue on faithfully in our season of Lent and our observances. Keep one another in prayer. Remember we're all in this together, going through this journey as a community of faith, drawing upon God's strength. And thank you for listening. And with any luck, I will talk to you again soon.